0: This is Heart of the Matter. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We have three long shows left, and we are going to talk about what's coming more and more as these shows air. But right now, I want to begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for life and all you do and for the blessings upon us. We pray that you'll be with us as we uh, produce this program and people seeking for truth will be able to understand it. We pray you'll bless Wendy as she uh, gets uh, this out for our audience. And, um, All those who are seeking and struggling and having difficulty, comprehending that you will open up their eyes to what you want them to know. Forgive me the things that I'd say and do that are incorrect. In Jesus' name, amen. Three shows left before we start counting down to the launch of our new approach to doing things. The next two shows will be addressing some key components to how we see the faith today. Tonight, I'm going to take the liberty to walk you back a little bit through the past, which I know you know, and speak to what I have learned over the years. I started my life as a member of the LDS or Mormon Church, and this was the religion of my youth, and I lived it up until I was 40 years old. And I have always sought God in my life, even as a kid, except for one period of nihilism that I fell into in my searching But even as a Mormon, I wanted to know who God was, who Jesus was, who Heavenly Father was. And I found a semblance of God, a religious approach to Him within Mormonism, and believed, however, that they taught the truth with a capital T. I served a full-time mission, got married in an LDS temple, accepted leadership and teaching roles in the Mormon church, I recently hosted a debate between two groups representing some form of Mormonism, the LDS church active by three guys and an ex-LDS member, RFM. And I related directly with all the participants, not just one side, having sat where both are now sitting. I was once young, wide-eyed, and full of testimony of the Mormon church as the boys from Midnight Mormons were. And then I became like RFM, the host of Radio Free Mormon, full of evidence and some anger for the fraud that I spent so much time pursuing. The space between these two groups was filled with 17 years of seeking in my life, uh, active daily searching for truth, And my family can attest to whenever I had a free moment, I was sitting in a public place searching, seeking, reading, contemplating. When I came out of Mormonism spiritually and emotionally in 1997, I was angry at the church and its deceptions that they allowed me to embrace. These deceptions were illuminated by the introduction of the real Jesus in my life Uh, who directed me from that point forward in 1997 through a roadside uh, experience is what I call it. And from there, I embarked upon a new journey on a new road that literally unfolded before me with every step I took. You know, we had a weekly live and... uh, television show for seven years where we compared and contrasted Mormonism with biblical Christianity, you know that we were popular and had a great success for those years. And you know that once I discovered where exiting Mormons were headed once they left the Mormon church, we changed our focus For where I was once aghast by the religious deception in Mormonism, I was frankly more aghast by the ever-present manipulations I was seeing in modern Christianity. These unfolded before me slowly, manipulations for getting money and uh, men pandering to their false religious authority. That came first. I also noticed how a number of evangelicals that were in my path when it came to disagreements were fugglier and meaner than most of the Mormons I had ever encountered, except a few. And these things quietly opened and unfolded within me as I continued to move forward. Without trying, I was being exposed to new insights. On long held doctrinal traditions that Christians had These came in the form of books that were sent to me And uh, that challenged me to take a look closely At all I had assumed to be the truth within American evangelicalism The first pillar to fall was afterlife punishment Through the eyes and minds of some devout followers of Christ, I was able to dive into scripture actually and see that hell was not, is not a continuous eternal uh, state and that it had application in a certain age, and it was not what men had long taught it to be, and which I had repeated it to be. And my eyes opened. And then from there, because I was so unmoored by being wrong about hell, which I dogmatically preached, I thought, what else have I gotten wrong? And at this point, people suggest that I have not allowed myself to see the myth of all metaphysical beliefs. At this point, many atheists will say, well, you've only gone so far, Sean. You've you've only pursued so far. If you just go a little bit further, you would get to see that everything is a myth. You have been deceived by everybody, and you should join us as an atheist. But I want to refer them back to my years as a Mormon searching for truth and how I did get to the point of rejecting all that had been taught and that um, all medical, uh, medical, all metaphysical experience I rejected, fully embraced nihilism, that there was nothing. And I experienced in that roadside conversion, something that altered my life beyond what reason could uh, attack. It altered my perspective of nature, of life, of God, of sin, of Jesus, of love. And uh, that was all outside of reason and doctrine and religious practice. It was a metaphysical experience I personally had which I realize I can't justify through normal means of a scientific exploration. I just tell you it's a metaphysical experience, and that's all it was. Uh, but it did change me, and what it did for me is allowed me to know that God is there and that His Son was a legitimate human who lived a life... And that he was someone I would look to believe in, not doctrine, not practice, not the beliefs and traditions of men, him and him alone. Anyway, back to the unraveling of traditions using the Bible. This is super important for me to have you understand. I have not ever since coming to Christ ever allowed a belief or a position into my worldview that could not be sustained by a reasonable contextual view of biblical information. In other words, I've never gone outside of the Bible and said, hey, this is a truth you need to understand that I know, never. I've only used the Bible and what it says to try to discover the things that I believe. If I can't support it by what is written, I don't suggest that it it to be true. I tell people that's just my speculation, but if the Bible supports it, I will present it as something I believe to be true. I don't call myself anything but a teacher of the word. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a seer. I'm not a visionary of any sort. I am as fallible uh, as a teacher uh, who proposes views in Jesus' name in the cause of Christ as everybody else. And so I came to see the tradition of hell as failing. And again, that opened me up. Once that was proven to me that I was wrong, again, by and through the words and contextual analysis of the Bible and by the Spirit, I knew there were other themes I had to consider. And I took a look at the makeup of God then, specifically the Trinity. And this brought the hounds, I mean, out of the, out of the woodwork, the hounds of Uh, evangelicalism came and we had a show where pastors in the community um, committed to the traditions of the Trinity, voiced their disapproval of me and my person more uh, than they had in the past. Uh, I've never been a favorite of pastors, but this allowed them some uh, ammunition that I was saying I don't agree with the Trinity. Uh, But my stance of the Trinity which, by the way, is overblown in large part because of my own words and my inability to articulate what I really did believe. They opened the floodgates from a very specific group of religious brothers and sisters, the Reformed, or also called the Calvinists. And the rift between us has only gotten bigger and wider, where I do believe that these types mean well, and i do not question their allegiance to god i learn from these engagements a universal truth at least in most cases and in my opinion and that is people become what they worship people become what they worship if you worship snakes you will in time embody the characteristics of a snake you will in your mind, heart, and maybe body, uh, physicality, resemble a slithering, tongue-flicking, venomous, evil-eyed serpent, right? If you worship a kind, loving, benevolent God of eternal patience and long-suffering, you will in all likelihood become kind, benevolent, long-suffering, and patient, In the case of our Reformed brothers and sisters, I learned that their hearts, generally speaking again, are no different than the heart of the God they worship. And from there, a door opened to me, a new door that I had long tried to avoid, and that was eschatology. Once I came to see that I had hell wrong, that the idea of the Trinity is not biblically uh, supported as well as Trinitarians wanna believe, I had to look at this thing called eschatology. Eschatology is a big word for the study of end times. If you go back to our earlier television shows, you can hear me say, I don't understand eschatology. It's a weak uh, spot in my belief system. And I was really... Uh, reticent to even pursue any of it. The reasons I didn't like it is that in the 40 years I was LDS or Mormon, eschatology was never touched on. So I didn't have any real basis in it, even from the Mormon perspective. Then I trained under Chuck Smith, who adamantly taught pre trib and the rapture and Jesus' imminent second coming to destroy the world and take his bride. And I bought that hook, line, and sinker because I didn't understand eschatology on my own and believed Chuck to be true because he's a salt of the earth and a great guy all around and a true believer. So I thought his eschatology was correct. And then it was just way too confusing. I couldn't get pre-trib, post-trib, amillennial, all this stuff in my head, preterists. And so I didn't have an inner drive to try to understand it. It was too big. But in our verse by verse study through the book of, uh, through the Bible, the uh, apostolic record, we came to the the decision will we now go verse by verse through Revelation? And I was debating, like many pastors, on whether to even teach it or not. It was here that Wendy, who's doing the recording right now, she uh, has been with the ministry for years. She pushed me. You should do it. You should do it. And for all the reasons I just gave, I was not interested. I just, I literally thought the book of Revelation probably shouldn't have been in the Bible. I thought that, Luther thought that. And I thought, yeah, it's just caused so much uh, confliction, so much difficulty. But Wendy is a persistent human being and she always thinks she's right. So she pushed me and uh, and so I decided, okay, if I'm gonna do this, I have to do it right. I can't just take a position that says this is the truth like Chuck Smith's and say this is what it's teaching. I have to do it justice. So a ton of work was thrown on my back. And I happened to be sent a book a few months prior uh, to doing this from somebody in Canada who still remains nameless of a pastor who wrote this book called Christianity's Greatest Dilemma And that's Pastor Glenn Hill in North Carolina. And so Pastor Glenn Hill, who I don't know, writes this book, somebody in Canada who I don't know, and they send it to me out of the blue. And I'm going to be preparing to teach Revelation in the next six months about. And for some reason, I read the premise of the book. Jesus has either come back as he said he would to his own in that day, Or he and his apostles were wrong That's Christianity's greatest dilemma According to uh, Glenn Hill It's Jesus is either right Or Jesus is wrong And his book, though very easy to read And not complicated, a little repetitive It was fantastic at showing me What the scripture actually said About eschatology or end times So I read it, tried to disprove it, and it opened me up of being a a, a futurist, of being a a, 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 a rapturist, pre-tribist, it opened me up to a concept I had never considered before. Jesus has already come back. He came back to his own, as he promised. And so as I embarked in Revelation, doing the verse by verse, I had to use what I had learned and, it, and implement it, tie it in, that view in to dispensationalism and futurism and, and all the millennialism and all the other ways people see the revelation. We have the entire series online, if you dare. It'll take you two and a half years to get through it. But we went through verse by verse, And we looked at what all the different views were and we tried to see what was most fitting. And I think probably halfway through I said, I can't do this every view look anymore. It's 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 fulfilled. The thing is fulfilled. And it really rocked my world relative to my own walk with Christ, but also now to my understanding of the scripture and then how it should be applied to us in our day and age. So, but we didn't stop there. Um, we uh, created a new version of the apostolic record, which people wrongly call the New Testament. And I decided to get revelation out of the way because I had taught through it. So we went through and we created a new revelation. It's the same words as every translation with a few changes in the from the Greek, but we footnoted every verse and word that will bring light to people uh, about what Revelation is actually te- teaching from a historical mindset, from the mindset of an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled, from the mindset of Christ saying he was going to re- uh, return, to the mindset of it happening quickly to them then. And we, uh, we produced that book. And, um, and, everything, and when everything was said and done, after going through the book of Revelation for two and a half years teaching it, creating a new revelation with footnotes and annotations, and then writing, compiling 20, 22 separate chapter books to help explain each of the chapters of Revelation, um, we realized, or I realized, everything's done. It's all complete. And I looked at the sordid histories of organized religion. Every one of them do the same and I examined all their doctrines and their practices and their claims and their false authority, and I was able to clearly see the following. God was, is, and always will be love. With that love, he created all things and gave man free will to obey him or not. Man, made in God's image with the right to choose, chose not. And God then elected, because of a fall, the nation of Israel out of all nations. And through them, he provided his law, which is perfect, and the scripture and a Messiah. And God so loved the world, he brought that Messiah in that whosoever would believe on him would have eternal life. And his son, the Messiah, overcame all the effects of the fall, the law, the sin, the ordinances, the death, Satan, and hell. And he put an end to the age of material religion embodied by the nation of Israel and Judaism. And he wrapped all of it up upon his return to take his promised bride who had to be pure without spot and unblemished in 70 AD when the rest of Israel, Jerusalem, was destroyed by the Roman army. And after that time, we enter into an age that John describes as an age when, and God describes when he will have direct relationship with those who are his. It's an age of peace. It's an age of reconciliation for the world. And it's an age where people who want Him can have Him. We've been in that age for 2,000 years. The end result of what all God has done, the end of objective, man-made, man-driven material religion. The installation of the Holy Spirit moving in, the kingdom of God being within people, and God writing His laws on the hearts and minds of those who are His. And the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, and King, taking care of everything deleterious to the relationship human beings could have with God. If you love going to church, no problem. If you love spending your life sustaining physical institutions and, 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 and paying them and following them and being under their thumb, you're welcome. The, the age is open and good. From what I can now see, institutional allegiance does not make or break a true Christian, no matter what they are about or what they teach. To non-Christians, the institution can have a profound effect on the individual. But to true Christians, those whom God himself has written his laws upon their minds and hearts, nothing external can interfere with who they are and what they possess. True Christians cannot be harmed by sitting in the bar, sitting in the church, going to Afghanistan and looking at a mosque. You are a true Christian from the heart. The external stuff will never touch you. And so we call to true Christians, those who seek to live by what God has given to them personally. And we invite all of them to join us in the future Uh, to form a liberty-based collective in Christ and in Christianity. If you're interested in participating in the gathering of other like-minded souls who are or wish to be emancipated from all the spiritual interferences uh, and be supported in your individual walk via Him with fellowship and information, a constant stream of information, Send us an email with just your name and the state or country of residence in which you live. We'll let you know the details around the 1st of February so you can make an informed choice if you want to stay with it or not. But up to that point, we need that email for you to say, hey, I want to belong to whatever you're going to do and I'll decide later if I want to continue.